The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. I am your host, Colin Dinoon, attorney at law, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Leonardo Torres, who is our communication specialist. Leonardo, how are you doing today? Very, very good, man. Um, busy day today, but happy to be here for another episode with um, with our listeners and our guests and whatnot. And you know, we have a long weekend coming up, so I am very excited about that, and I'm sure you are too, you know? Not often we get all that time off. Same, same. So I need that rest. Something to look forward to. Correct. <laughs> I am definitely looking certainly, forward to it. Certainly, certainly. I had to drag myself into the office this morning. You know, so you're nothing bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, to all our regular listeners, we'd like to say thank you for your continued support. And if you are listening for the first time, you may be wondering, what is the Legal Corner podcast? Well, the Legal Corner podcast series is a bi-monthly show originating in Trinidad and Tobago and is aimed at providing insight into various areas of the law. In today's episode, we will be looking at contentious probate proceedings. Normally, when someone dies, their assets are distributed in accordance with their wishes as stated in their will. Or, if they died without a will, their assets will be distributed in accordance with the rules of intestacy. However, there are situations where disputes can arise which require the intervention of the court. Joining us on the show today to provide some insight into this topic is Mr. Chris Hilochen. Chris Hilochen is an attorney at law, practicing for over 19 years. He has postgraduate qualifications in public law and business administration and is also a certified anti-money laundering specialist. He also practices both civil and criminal law in the various courts in Trinidad and Tobago, including the High Court and Court of Appeal. He also does non-contentious matters. Welcome to the Legal Corner, Mr. Siochen. Hello, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you very much for your welcome, Colin. It's really great to have you. Uh, we're going to jump right into the discussion today. And I want you to tell us what is meant by the term contentious probate proceedings. But to answer that, I just want to develop a little bit on what you started off with, just to give a little bit of background. If a person dies with a will, we say that the will has to be probated because there will be an executor named in the will. And a process called probate has to be done for what is in the will to pass on to the beneficiaries. If a person dies without a will, we say a process called letters of administration has to be done where someone, perhaps a spouse or a child of the deceased, will apply for letters of administration. And then what is owned by the deceased will then be distributed according to the law to the persons who are supposed to benefit. And the law right now is 50% for the spouse and 50% for 
children, if you have no spouse, everything to the children, equal shares, if you have no children, everything to the spouse, etc. Now, most of the times this gives rise to no difficulties. The process is very smooth, it's somewhat time consuming, but generally after several months, if it's approved, the person who is applying for the probate, the executor, if it's a female, the executrix, gets a grant of probate and goes, distributes the estate. If there's a deed to be done to the beneficiaries, it's done, monies to be distributed, etc. If it's a letters of administration, the administrator distributes the estate. And that happens within the vast majority of cases. Everything runs smoothly. However, from time to time, there are situations where there's a challenge to the process for different reasons. It may well be that someone comes forward and says, hey, listen, that will that they have probated, that is not the last will of the deceased. Before he died, he made another will, so you're probating the wrong will. It may be that um, an application for a grant of letters of administration is made when in fact the deceased had a will. Because once the deceased has a will, the will has to be probated. So if someone goes ahead applying for letters of administration, thinking that the deceased does not have a will, and then somebody comes forward and says, but wait now, this gentleman made a will, I'm a beneficiary, there's an executor, then the process has to be stopped so that this will could be probated. And these are two examples of what we call, what would result in contentious um, proceedings, probate proceedings, where, why should I prefer to use the word estate proceedings? Because probate refers to only when there's a will. But remember, the majority of people perhaps don't have wills. The majority of situations would be applications for letters of administration. And the term estate is used to cover probate and letters of administration. So when someone, for whatever reason, and there are other reasons which we'll get into all that later on, wants to challenge this process, we say that the process has now become contentious. And it could, in fact, end up before a court where a judge of the high court will have to decide um, sometimes whether a will is valid, whether this is, in fact, the last will of a particular individual. So that's not much. That's what we mean by contentious um, estate proceedings, where the proceedings are any grant application for probate or letters of administration is being challenged by another party, and it could end up in court. Okay, excellent. I want you to go a little bit more in depth in terms of the situations uh, which would give rise to contentious estate proceedings. Sure. Um, I think probably the most common situation would be, as I mentioned before, a person applies for a grant of letters of administration. So, so a person has died, perhaps his wife has applied for a grant of letters of administration thinking that he did not leave a will. Or maybe his wife is not alive and one of the children has applied. And that application has been made, so the application is pending. And then someone comes forward and says, listen, no, when, before this person died, he made a will, naming me as the executor and me as the beneficiary, or someone else as the executor and me as the beneficiary. That is a situation where um, a person would come forward and then challenge the letters of administration process so it's stopped in order for that person to have his uh, or who will prove it. So that would be an example. Another common example is where there's a more recent will which, which, which um, comes up. So for example, when a person is doing a will, I'm sure your listeners would be familiar, one of the 
uh, that, that the will that is being probated, you'll be familiar with the term last will and testament. And that phrase is used to mean that when a will is being probated, it has to be the last will of a person. So if I make a will today and tomorrow, I make a new will, I, that new will could revoke the will that I um, made, made today. In fact, I could make a will now, and three minutes later, I could make another will revoking it. So sometimes what happens is that a person made a will, he might have made a will in 2012, he may have died in 2021, and the executor of that will goes to probate that will which was made in 2012. Unknown to that executor, the deceased before he died, perhaps went by an attorney and made a will in 2015, revoking the will in 2012. So the person who is benefiting from the will in 2015, it comes to that person's attention, but wait now, they're probating a will for this person that was made in 2012, but I have a more recent will. So in a situation like that, that person would want to come and bring a stop to the probate proceedings so that that person could bring forward his or her 2015 will, which would have revoked the 2012 will. Uh, to have that will probated. Now, sometimes it's not always as simple as that. Sometimes the person um, who is benefiting from the 2012 will could come and allege, oh, no, that 2015 will that you are saying is a more recent will. That's a fraudulent will. The last will was, in fact, the 2012 will. That 2015 will that you come in and you claim in that a that man made in 2015. No, I disagree with that. So, and, and, and situations like that is, um, arise sometimes in court, and that is where um, the matters can become very contentious because both sides then have to bring forward evidence in terms of who witnessed the will um, to, to prove to the court so that the court could actually make a declaration on what was, in fact, the last will of the person that, that died, and the court will then decide which will should be um, admitted to probate. Another situation um, which stems from um, similar to this one is where there's an allegation of fraud. A person might be probating a will and somebody else might come forward and say, no, wait now, the deceased never signed that will. That's not his signature. In which case, the person who is alleging that may want to file an action to stop the will, to stop the will from being probated, bringing forward the necessary evidence, whether it be a handwriting expert, with a report saying, listen, I have looked at that signature, that was a fraudulent signature, all right? Or it may well be that at the time in which they are saying that the will was signed by the deceased, he was probably in hospital, he was bedridden and not in a position to sign the will, in which case the person may want to bring forward some sort of medical evidence to show, well, listen, that will that you are trying to prove in there, that will is not, um, is not a valid will. The deceased, when he signed that will, he wasn't, he did not have what we say the mental capacity to sign that will. So that is another example. And there are other examples as well. For example, if it is that an application for letters of administration is made, the law provides a particular order in which um, who can apply for letters of administration. So if a spouse is alive, the spouse is the first in line to apply, and a child is the second in line to apply. If someone applies, um, let's say a child applies when his spouse is alive and his spouse was the one who was supposed to apply for the letters of administration. His spouse could, you know, attempt to stop the application and come forward and say, well, listen, I am the person um, who is supposed to apply 
And another situation is, if, for example, a beneficiary is concerned about the way in which the probate process is being handled, the way in which the executor is handling the process, or the way in which the person who is applying for letters of administration is handling the process. Um, so, for example, while the probate process is going on, the executor is basically in control of the estate. So if the deceased have a property and rents were being derived from the property, the executor is a person who is responsible for taking those rents, putting them in a bank account, and securing those rents. And when the probate process is finished, the executor has to now distribute those rents. Suppose one of the beneficiaries um, has a concern with, you know, the executor is collecting the rents and pocketing the rents or something like that. That may be a situation where a beneficiary may want to, you know, step forward and say, well, listen, I have these concerns, and then, you know, make the process contentious, as we say. So these are some examples. All right, Mr. Silochan, thank you for, for that explanation. Um, I remember earlier we had, on episode two, we did discuss wills and probate, and, you know, our episode at that time was more geared towards what are some of the important elements to having a will uh, being valid. So I'm happy that we are able to have this conversation as a bit of a follow-up to the importance of wills, and I, I'm glad you touched on it earlier. But um, can you speak a little bit more on what are the grounds a will can indeed be challenged? Well, there are various grounds. In terms of the will itself, there are various grounds. If, for example, the will was not properly executed, the Wills and Probate Act stipulates a particular way in which a will must be done. It must be signed by the testator. The testator is the person who is doing the will. Um, it must be signed at the bottom. There must be two witnesses. The witnesses must be present at the time in which the uh, person is signing the will. So and we call those the formalities that must be observed for a will to be valid. So a will doesn't have to be done by an attorney at all. Anybody could do a will, but you have to observe certain formalities. So if um, those formalities, any one of those formalities has not been observed, for example, if it is that you have um, you know, only one witness, for example, um, or if it is that uh, you know, the test data did not sign what the test data is supposed to sign, that would be an example where you know, the will would be considered to be um, invalid. There are other instances, for example, if it is that it is alleged that, and I, and I alluded to them, that some form of fraud was done, um, if it is that the handwriting of the person, the testator, the person who made the will, it is being alleged that the person's handwriting is in fact fraudulent. That is not his signature. Somebody signed on his on his behalf. That is another situation where the will could be challenged. If it is being alleged that the testator was tricked into signing it. So for example, the document may bear his signature, but it is being alleged that he did not understand what he was signing at the time because he could not read or write it was not properly explained to him and proper instructions were not taken to prepare the will. That could be a situation where the will um, could be challenged. If it is being alleged that at the time of making the will, the testator did not have the mental capacity or understanding to make the will, whether it is because he was unwell, maybe he had um, some... Um, illness that was affecting uh, his state of mind or something like that. That could be a situation in which the will could be challenged. If it is alleged that the testator was pressured or forced into making a will in a particular way, you know, um, that could be a way in which um, the will 
um, could be challenged. So these are different ways in which uh, will could be challenged. Uh, Mr. Silucha, is it something that occurs often uh, where elderly persons would have passed on and then someone would come and say that they didn't have the correct capacity at the time of making the will? I wouldn't say it's very often, but I see it happening from time to time. And we have to understand that not every time someone comes forward and makes that allegation, that is true to the allegation, you know. Sometimes it might be a person who felt that he or she should be a beneficiary to the will and did not end up being a beneficiary to the will and the person is disgruntled and then comes forward and makes an allegation. You know that will which this um, person uh, made, I am saying that that person at the time did not have the mental capacity. And that is why as attorneys we have to be very careful because when someone comes to us to challenge a will on these grounds, we have to ensure that we have sufficient evidence. So for example, if someone comes to me and says, you know, I am saying that this handwriting is a forgery, right? I would refer the person to a handwriting expert. And the handwriting expert is someone who, of course, is scientifically trained to compare that particular signature with other samples of the deceased handwriting to determine whether or not um, that signature is authentic. Likewise, if you're coming forward and you are saying, hey, you know, listen, at the time this deceased signed this will, you know, when he was alive, he was in hospital and he didn't have the proper uh, mental capacity. I would want some form of a medical or something like that to show before we actually, you know, proceed in terms of challenging the will. So it happens from time to time, but um, I wouldn't say very often, but not all of these challenges really have merit. Okay, at this point, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, Mr. Silochan, this is really a very interesting discussion. And we just have a few more questions that we would like to uh, discuss with you before we bring this episode to a close. So we have been discussing a lot about contentious estate proceedings, contentious uh, probate proceedings. And I want you to talk to us a bit about what is the role of the executor in these type of proceedings. Well, the executor, of course, relates to where there's a will. And the executor has a very, very important role to play. Because, as I said earlier, until the probate process has been completed, the executor is really in charge of the estate, so to speak. So, if it is that some form of a court action has to be taken, um, you know, a challenge in a will, the executor will be the one who will be brought before the court, and he will be the one, or she will be the one who will be like a defendant of the proceedings. Um, likewise, if there's a subsequent will, a newer will, and it comes to an executor's attention that will listen, you know, um, there's a previous will which is being probated, but I have a more recent will. Um, the executor, you know, would have a responsibility to approach an attorney and to stop the process and to get the, um, you know, to, to, to challenge the, the probate 
process. So the executor at this stage really is the key person who controls it because remember, until the grant of probate is obtained and until the estate is distributed, meaning everything that the deceased owns, until it goes to whoever is entitled under the will, the beneficiaries really have nothing. They really have um, little say at that stage. The executor or the executrix, if it's a female, that is the person who controls uh, the entire process. So that will be the person controlling you know, the court proceedings, etc. All right, Mr. Silochan, can you speak to us a little bit more about the options that are available to the court in terms of um, resolving these disputes? Before I get there, I just wanted to mention in terms of like the process, in terms of, you know, which will lead to the, to the options. Um, if it is that a person, a, a, an application for probate or letters of administration has already been filed, and if it is that someone wants to challenge the process, the person needs to approach an attorney at law and have what is called a caveat file in the court. And the caveat is a document which will stop the process. It's valid for six months, all right? It remains valid for six months. It can be renewed. And a caveat can be filed at any time before the grant of probate or the grant of letters of administration um, is obtained. So I just want to point out that first, because that leads into the, uh, the question that you're asking into the court into the court process. So generally, that is um, what would be what would be done. I don't want to get too much into the complexities of the law, but after the party who is challenged in the process files the caveat, the other party um, really should file what is called a warning to the caveat, um, which is um, another document which is filed in court. And then after the warning to the caveat is filed, the original party that filed the, filed the caveat would file a document called an appearance to the warning. Now, when that appearance is filed, we see that the matter has now become contentious. And at that stage, the matter goes before the court. And either one of the parties could file um, an action um, before the court. Um, when the matter reaches before the court, there are different options that could be available. Sometimes the parties could get together and they could arrive at some form of a settlement. Right now we have in the High Court where um, the judge can refer a matter to another judge for what is called a judicial settlement conference, which is something like a mediation process where you can take the matter before another judge and the judge can attempt to mediate the process between um, among the parties to arrive at a settlement. And you find that that might be a feasible option for a lot of these matters, because a lot of these disputes, contentious probate matters, involve families, right? So you may find two different wills, and maybe um, there may be an um, argument in terms of which will is valid. And you may find that the beneficiaries under both wills may get together, have discussions, either in a judicial settlement conference, or together with the attorneys, they may have what is called an all parties conference, and they may get together, and the beneficiaries under both wills may decide, well, listen, all right, we're not going to pursue the matter any further. This is how the, uh, the, um, the estate is going to be divided. We decide among ourselves how the estate is going to be divided. If, however, the matter is not settled, and the matter has to proceed to be litigated, as we say, that means that the judge will eventually have to make a uh, 
e-decision. Now, it's a very broad question you ask. It depends on what is before the court. If you have two wills which are before the court, the judge will have to make a decision to determine which is the last will and testament of the deceased, and therefore, which will should be admitted to proving. And that is where the evidence will come into play, where the judge will look at uh, um, what is the allegation, if the allegation is that there's a um, the handwriting was, was, was forged, etc. The judge will look at the evidence. If the allegation is that um, mental capacity is the allegation, the judge will look at the evidence. There will be a trial, and the judge will have to make a determination whether, in fact, this was the last will and testament of the deceased. If there are two wills, it may well be that there are not two wills. It may well be that there is one will, and somebody is coming forward and saying, Well, listen, the deceased never made a will, and that will. Uh, was done fraudulently, in which case the judge could decide, well, you know, that that will was done fraudulently, and the judge could then make a declaration that the deceased died intestate. In other words, the deceased died without a valid last will and testament, and therefore an application for a grant of letters of administration uh, should be made. So at the end of the day, the role of the judge is really to determine the way forward in terms of how will the administration of this estate be completed. Is it that there's a particular will which should be declared as the last will and testament of the deceased and that should be probated? Or is it that the deceased died in the estate and therefore it should proceed to letters of administration um, and then someone who is the administrator, whether it be spouse or child, will then make the application for letters of administration. But these are some of the options that the judge has available to them. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Siluchan. You know, before you wrap up, do you have anything uh, else that you wanted to ask Mr. Siluchan? Uh, no, not at this time. I, I really admire the fact that he was very um, comprehensive in his answering, and I felt like there was no room for any ambiguity, no room for any questions. It was quite comprehensive, and I, and I got, and I hope our listeners would have gotten a firm understanding of the, you know, the topic, because wills can be um, contentious, as the topic is, and um, I'm happy that, you know, we have an expert with us today who was able to shed the light on this very important topic. And I really want to thank him for his time and his wealth of knowledge. Most welcome. It's been a pleasure being here. All right. Thank you, Mr. Siluchan. So this has brought us to the end of another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. Remember to check us out on social media. On Facebook, we are the Legal Corner podcast series. On Instagram, at the Legal Corner Podcast. We are also on Patreon if you are interested in supporting our work. If you enjoy the show, we'd like to ask you to share it with your friends and family. Feel free to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We'll also love it if you subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss any of our future episodes. Special thanks to our promotional team who are helping us to get our message out. Bye for now, and God bless. 
Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to thelegalcornerpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.